I think we're good. I just, okay. I just like checking the levels before we show because I'm always looking at him to make sure it's picking us up just fine. Okay. Um. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that believes you should always try and live each week as if it's Shark Week. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here. So, Peter, uh, it's Comic-Con week, or it was Comic-Con yeah. week. Um, I'm I, The amount of stuff that hit for Comic-Con was mind-boggling. I didn't expect that much stuff to hit. That fast, so um, we have a lot to cover. Sure, yeah. Okay, but I have a quick story I wanted to share with you. Okay. Um, the other night, I had a hankering for a burrito, so I went down to this burrito place that's near nearby, and I was wearing a Green Lantern baseball hat. Okay. Um, like yeah. it's, just, it's just a green hat with a black bill. It's got the Green Lantern logo on the uh, in the center. And I walk in, not thinking much about it, just kind of walked in, waiting for my burrito. And as I'm standing there watching the guys all, like, cook, I look across, and one of the guys making the burrito is wearing a Black Lantern hat. Oh, okay. Now, here's what's interesting, is you wear a Green Lantern hat, and I think the general public would be like, oh, Green Lantern? I didn't like that movie. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) But I read comic books, and I like Uh the Green Lantern, so I have a hat. Um, But this guy, you don't buy a Black Lantern hat. Unless you've read the comics and know what the Black Lanterns are. Mm-hmm. So, like, as I'm, they eventually call my number, I go grab my food, and I'm just like, hey, dude, nice hat. And he goes, thanks. And then he looks at me and goes, you too. <laughs> and, like, that's all it was, just a really quick, like, all that's right, awesome. you know what I mean? It was yeah. just a really, like, cool, like, nerd moment. Like, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, I just thought that was really cool. That doesn't happen often just because, you know, um, Whatever you don't like the Green Lantern movie, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. But if that guy reads, if that guy has a Black Lantern hat, he's a reader. It was. I feel awesome. like cool. when I have those moments, like if somebody's like, "Hey, I like your shirt," and it's because they're wearing like something related. I'm. I usually am kind of the thanks, and then like I walk like you know another five steps, like after it's way too late to respond. I'm like, "Oh yeah, I get it. Cool." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it was just really funny, and I was like, "That's that's just awesome." Mm-hmm. So. Um, let's, like, we usually start with watching and reading. Uh, I haven't had a chance to, I did start, um, I didn't have a chance to read a lot, but I did start, um, back in, back when we went to C2E2, I bought a giant stack of comics. I bought a lot of comics when we were there, um, and I barely gotten a chance to scratch the surface of them just because of some crazy sniff comics. Yeah, right. (laughs) No, uh, so I, but I started the one, the Black Lantern one that I picked up. Okay. In terms of a segue, because yeah, nice. I picked up, uh, <laughs> I picked up Blackest Night, Black Lanterns, uh, mm-hmm. Volume One, um, which I never got. I, I read Blackest Night. I loved it, but some of the side books I didn't oh, get a yeah, chance that, to read. That was a huge event. It was a huge so event. Side but some of the side read. stuff I didn't get a chance to yeah. read. So I picked up uh, Black Lanterns, Volume One. Started it really good so far. Anyway, so, nice. That's awesome. Um, but did you get a chance to watch or read anything? I've only watched one thing, and it's a. Uh, I was going to say a new anime series, but it's not new, but I started watching an anime series, which is uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Have you ever watched this? Are you familiar with the series at all? Um, I I know of it, but okay. I don't know... I really don't know so, much about it. I don't know a lot about the history, but it's a... 
manga that's been going on since like the 80s and during the 90s they decided to adapt it as uh several like anime movie releases if i'm and i might be incorrect saying this but i know it was a 90s anime thing and then recently they rebooted it as like an anime series and i know a lot of people who are really into it and i've kind of been aware of of it for some time but never actually took the plunge and uh i have some work friends who are really into it and they kind of convinced me to take the plunge with this one and uh i started watching it i'm only about four or five episodes in but i'm honestly loving it so far and this is a weird series because when you hear what the series is about it's about a family it's about the joe star family and different generations of that family and kind of the adventures and stories that happen to them And that's like, okay, that sounds kind of mundane and boring. (laughs) And then I've heard about what the first story is about, and I thought that was kind of mundane and boring because it's basically about a rich kid who has a rival who's trying to just ruin this rich kid's life. I'm telling you, I was like halfway through the episode and I was so hooked on this show. Because basically what it is is there's this kid who's uh, Jonathan Joestar, he's, he's the rich kid, and there's this other guy, Dio, who's like his adopted brother who ends up being adopted, taking into his household, and Dio's goal is basically to take out Jojo and to steal his inheritance. So and so as soon as Dio shows up, there's this like really cool rivalry where he just kind of tries to ruin this dude's life. And uh, it's just one of those things that it started and I was like, okay, I don't know if I like this. And the main character is kind of a rich, spoiled kid, so I don't know if I relate to him at all and stuff. And then halfway through the episode, just the... Uh, the kind of things that Dio was doing to Jojo was so relatable. I was like, oh, I love this show. I hate this Dio guy. I'm so invested. And it's like, it's this weird, like, really cool thing because the story on paper doesn't seem like it'd be that interesting, but I don't know how they pulled it off, but I just get really into it. And it's one of those, uh, I'd liken it to the Netflix Castlevania series where oh, okay. you, not in terms of plot, but in terms of, you watch it and 20 minutes or however long the episode is up faster than like it's just you're watching it and you're like wait that was an episode what the heck yeah the castlevania series i mean even those are a 20 minute long episode 22 minutes or whatever they go fast yeah because you're just like oh i've actually been watching a show because you get so into it and this series that's like the highest thing i can say about it so far even though i've just barely scratched the scratch and sniff surface of this one is that an episode goes by and I'm just shocked. I'm like, wait, that was an episode? That was awesome. It seemed like five That's cool. minutes. So, yeah. Well, I watched Comic-Con. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I watched um, <laughs> a ton of Comic-Con too. So. I didn't get a chance to watch anything because I've been trying to devour news yeah. for the show and there is so much news. Um, so we're going to just segue right into I'd news. like to say that uh, Comic-Con is my Super Bowl and I'm sure you feel the same way where every year it's like, I'm glued to the TV slash my phone slash computer for a weekend trying to just devour as much I'd of like it as to, possible. I'd like so. to say that I always like to think the Oscars are my Super Bowl. Okay. But, my, mine is totally Comic-Con. But, <laughs> Screw the Oscars. <laughs> no, it's fine. I just yeah. realized like in terms of like competition and awards and all that stuff, yeah. like, like the Oscars has always kind of been like my Super Bowl. Um, I guess Comic-Con so. isn't very comp- competition heavy. but No, it's just news. It kind of <laughs> is in the terms of just DC versus Marvel right. and fran- the franchise um, wars, I guess. And uh, so anyway, so we'll segue right into news. Um, but there's so much. And I feel like last year, now Marvel didn't go last year. And I feel like what Marvel did with Marvel not being there your eyes were focused on other things so DC had their big panel and they showed off their stuff and then you looked at other stuff 
And, like, I found out about that show Infinity Train, a cartoon network that I wanted to watch. And we found out about this thing over here and this thing over here. And suddenly it's like, I don't know what other stuff happened at Comic-Con because of the sheer ton of Marvel news that got dropped. That's true. I like, can... I, I'm still sifting through stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I, I don't know. I feel like I, uh, I get what you're saying. And, like, a lot of the Marvel stuff that dropped, I think, was really exciting. But... I think I've just, like, gotten so into looking at, like, all the little, like, side pieces of news. Because I think Marvel's, like, a given. It's going to be there. It's going to have all these big announcements. And I kind of, like, get into, like, oh, I didn't know this trailer dropped. Let's check it out. Oh, I didn't know about this. And, you know, like, all this, like, kind of side indie well, we're stuff gonna is get usually to, what catches my We're going to get to Marvel in a minute because I had to break it. I had to very yeah. heavily break it down because I wasn't expecting the sheer amount yeah. Because they said they were going to make an announcement after Spider-Man, like, this is what we want to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect them to unload the amount that they unloaded. I really no, didn't. I kind of feel like they still might be saving stuff for D23. Oh, I heavily think they are. Yes, they um, did drop a lot, but I've talked to a lot of people who kind of, and I don't want to, like, <laughs> spoil our conversation before it happens, but a lot of people kind of had the reaction of, like, meh, like, all the Marvel news was meh. And I was kind of surprised about that, but then I was like, well, they might be saving a couple big things well, for their own convention. I had a couple friends that I was talking to about that, and they're like, we don't even know what half of this stuff is. Yeah. And that's, that's fair. Part of it, yeah. That's fair if you're an average g- fan. And mm-hmm. I feel like the average fan right now is anyone who strictly watches the movies and goes, I like Marvel movies. Yeah. But if you're a fan like us where we read comic books and it's been a part of our yeah. lives and we've played video games and we've played board games and we dive into like the lore of all this stuff and we read the side stuff and really want to know things yeah. and then go see the movies, we're in the know about a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So where they think it's meh. We're just like, oh, really? We're doing that? And then there's the one guy who's just celebrating because Shang-Chi is finally getting a movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, real quick, we'll jump into Marvel. We'll get Marvel off the table in a minute. But let's before we go into the Marvel news, their biggest news is Avengers is official. Avengers Endgame is officially the number one movie worldwide. Um, Avatar has been snapped by <laughs> Thanos. Um, All right. It is gone. Yeah. Um, and there is much rejoicing. There is much rejoicing. I, I so think Avatar this is, is cool. Now, I think uh, I think I enjoyed Endgame a lot more than Avatar. Like I liked what Avatar did, but Endgame like held my attention throughout the whole thing. And the third act of Avatar I thought was a little predictable, which made me I still like it, but it's just not like a right. ten out of ten movie for me. And Endgame right. is definitely—I don't know if that's a ten out of ten. Avatar either, but it's up there. Avatar sure. was also built on a gimmick of a special type of three D. Yeah. So I think that drove the audiences a little bit more. If it wasn't that, I wonder if it ever would have done the best. And that's actually a good point. Like, Endgame is this mo- this like climactic movie out of the series of films that they've built up for years, and really. Uh, had people garner a love for these characters in this film. And so everybody who was going was going because of the story and because right. of the characters where, like you said, Avatar had a little bit of a gimmick. It was, meant to, it it was boost, a gimmick so. and it was a visual spectacle and it was designed to do a specific thing. And Yeah. yeah. Um, so what I thought was, I wanted to look this up. So Avatar is the number one movie worldwide. Avatar. Avengers Endgame is the number <laughs> yeah. one movie worldwide, finally beating Avatar, but adjusted for inflation... <laughs> Avatar is one point above Avengers Endgame. Avengers Oof, Endgame okay. sits at 16. Avatar sits at 15. But that's an issue of inflation. So Avatar was 10 years ago. 
movies cost just a little bit more now, so you have to adjust those ticket sales. Right. You know? Okay. So, yeah, that's. Um, crazy, I thought that was interesting, but, yeah. but it was definitely worth me bringing up. So. Mm-hmm. I still don't know if Endgame, because it was a sequel, you know, it's a sequel of a long line of movies, I still don't know if it did reach that point where it was something that everybody saw. Because, like, like my parents, for example, went to see Avatar, because that was like, you got to see this movie, and I don't think they've seen Endgame. And I think that's the case, because it's it's a sequel. Like, that cuts your audience down, too. Regardless, it's impressive that Endgame was able to achieve this. I'm just saying, like, I don't know if it peripherated the social consciousness and as much as avatar right did. well our dads said to me i you know i didn't realize this was that big of a thing with avengers Endgame. <laughs> yeah. should i go see this movie and i was half tempted to go well absolutely because it needs more dollars so it could beat avatar but at the same time like you have no idea of the 10-year history leading up to this film. Yeah. You're going to be completely lost. Like, What do you think is the starting point if somebody hasn't seen any Marvel movies? What's the Iron first Man one they watch? So I think that's a solid <laughs> one. Like, it's just Iron Man 1. But like, if you couldn't do that one, would you tell them to watch the first Avengers movie, probably, maybe? Yeah, probably. I think that's probably if you honest, If you honestly couldn't... If you absolutely had no other way of watching the movies yeah. and you had to skip some at the beginning, you go just go right to Avengers 1. Like, and, then really. if, and then if you can only watch two of the Marvel movies in total, you watch The Incredible Hulk and then Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? Um, well, let's, uh, let's take Marvel in stride. Let's break it down. Um, let's break it down in the order of uh, the release. Okay, um, I did a huge breakdown here, um, so we'll go from there. Um, the The slate that they're releasing, I'm gonna like list off the slate, and then we're gonna break it down a little bit. Okay. Okay. So Black Widow, Eternals, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Shang Chi and the Mystery of the Ten Rings, WandaVision, Loki, Doctor Strange, and the, in the Multiverse of Madness, What If, Hawkeye. Thor, Love and Thunder, Blade. Right. Okay. Now let's go back to the top and we'll break this down. <laughs> okay. So Black Widow is going to be the first movie out, but it's not the first movie of Phase 4. Well, it's a prequel, right? It's, so is it's it even, technically a prequel. Does it sit outside the phases? I, that's a good question. Yeah. So Black Widow takes place between the events of Captain America Civil War and Infinity War. It will explain the Budapest mission. That we hear about in dialogue from oh, okay. her and Hawkeye. Yeah. It'll explore a little more deeply why she made the sacrifice at the in Endgame. And the main villain will be Taskmaster. Cool. That's okay. that's the most exciting part, that's, I think, is first off, Taskmaster and I, I am that's very awesome. excited for this movie because Black Widow mm-hmm. became one of my favorite characters in yeah. this set of films. Um, seeing Taskmaster is going to be amazing. Hearing about the Budapest mission is going to be amazing. Um... I wish, I it's kind of a prequel. I almost wish it would fit in a way where you could watch it, like in this in the sequence of events where it maybe a prequel, but it still drives the story forward. Kind yeah. of like Captain Marvel is a prequel and drive, but it drives like I would never tell someone to watch Captain Marvel before Iron Man one. Yeah, only be, and even though it's set in the nineties, I would never tell them to do that because of the bonus sequences is. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the all the bonus, the the way the post credit scenes fit. Yeah, I would know. No, you got to watch. I'm that sure at the end. Uh, Topher Grace is gonna edit together yeah, a perfect order. Do it. He'll to do it with order. the bonus yeah. footage and the right yeah. spot and everything. So, Black Widow is 
hands down one of my <laughs> one of my favorite pieces of news. Yeah. Okay. Um, the next movie out the f- the next movie out is going to be The Eternals. Okay. This I don't is, know much about The Eternals. I think this is a Jack Kirby pet project sort of thing, right? Yeah. So Maybe. here. Well, yeah. So here's what I got. Um, for those of you who don't know The Eternals, I'm going to read this clip. I pulled this from the Marvel Encyclopedia, so I'm just going to read a quick paragraph here. Um, Which volume of the encyclopedia? Um, <laughs> it's got to be E, right? <laughs> yeah, it's got to be E. No, this is from DK Publishing. The, the Marvel um, World book that's the, on, on your yeah, shelf. Yeah, right. Um, I'm going to just read this quick paragraph. Um, I don't know much about the Eternals. I'm not familiar with their characters, but just so people get a, a quick idea. Yeah. Um, the Eternals are also known as the High Lords. Uh, were a small group of superhuman mutants whose lifespans were potentially unlimited. Their aging process was greatly slowed, and they could recover from injuries that would be fatal to normal humans. Um, and then there's a whole big thing about, like, the characters in the group and stuff. And since I don't know a lot of the characters, I'm not going to go any further. Okay. So just, you know, in terms of obscure, they probably went obscure, but we're, we're like, what is this about? How yeah. many people said that about Guardians of the Galaxy? Exactly, yeah. Um... So, the next thing out is Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Do you know anything about this? Because we've talked about it a little bit. I think it's a TV show, right? Um, Yeah. I don't know if... I don't know if I'll be watching this one, because I don't know if I am... If those are my favorite characters, but... I mean, I think it's cool that they're doing this series. Um, And it is a thing where if I see, like, a trailer for it, and it does look that bombastically awesome i will catch this one so i mean that's kind of where i'm sitting it might be a take it or leave it thing what do you think so falcon and the winter soldier will be a tv show for disney plus um they specifically they didn't say where it's going to fit in the timeline i'm assuming it's going to take place after endgame only because um baron zemo is back Okay, yeah, I think Baron I, I Zemo about from this, Civil yeah. War is going to be back, but he also is uh, will be in the standard Baron Zemo costume. Yeah, I heard about that too. So um, I thought that was really cool. I like both those characters. I'm really kind of anxious to see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so the next one is Shang Chi and the Mystery of the Ten Rings. Shang Chi is a movie. So here's what we got: Black Widow movie, Eternals movie, Falcon and the Winter TV, Falcon and the Winter Soldier TV show. Yeah, Shang Chi movie. Um, Shang Chi is basically a martial arts former secret agent character. Yeah. But this movie is going to explore the Mandarin the right. way that Iron Man three did not or should have. I don't know. I mean, this was a bit that I don't know if I was that excited about because. I personally thought the Mandarin was, like, the lamest part of Iron Man 3. I agree, because they didn't really do the Mandarin. Exactly, and that's what I don't understand, how they do the Mandarin after. Well, because the movie is called The Mystery of the Ten Rings, and if anyone knows comic books, the Mandarin's got all these rings that give him, like, abilities and stuff like that. So we're going to get a legit clearly like some kind of a kung fu marvel film basically and the mandarin will be the villain and maybe the mandarin's the next big bad guy we don't know yeah but wasn't the mandarin i mean it's been a while since i've seen iron man 3 but wasn't he kind of like like not a real threat or he was just like an actor pretending to be the mandarin he was an actor pretending to be the mandarin mandarin so he wasn't the mandarin so it's going to be another guy who's the real mandarin yes okay because the way i was the impression i got was that 
the Mandarin would just didn't exist. He was oh no, the Mandarin. Forever. He's gonna be the okay. real Mandarin. Okay, fair enough. So that's why I was, that's why I was kind I mean, of. It's that's cool why to see him actually done justice to that character. Right. You know? So for not knowing anything about Shang Chi, knowing what the villain's gonna be made me go, oh cool, okay, here yeah. we go. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm done. Okay, the next thing on the list in terms of the timeline, and I'm and I have these ordered in the order of release. Yeah. Okay. So the next thing is WandaVision. <laughs> okay. That will be a television show. I, and I, I'm sorry, and it might be great, but I hate that name so much. Me too. I hate it with a passion. Me too. So it could very well be a working title that gets changed. Why can't it be Scarlet Vision? Like, I feel like that instantly makes it better. Like, I just hate WandaVision. I don't I know. Don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Elizabeth Olsen will star in the movie. A lot, mm-hmm. You know, all the actors from the films are coming back, so Elizabeth Olsen will star in the movie, and she will also be in the Doctor Strange film um, in the Multiverse of Madness. That makes sense, but that's really cool. Okay. The show and the film are directly connected. Now, here's what I thought was interesting with all the show information they gave us. If you look at the Marvel slate of films prior to now, they had Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the television show, and they had um, uh, the Netflix series. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was connected, kind of. Big time in the first season because of the stuff that happened with the Winter Soldier film. But after that, they, they just really kind of weren't. It was almost like they couldn't do anything because yeah. the mo- they have to wait for the movies before they can talk about certain things, and I just don't feel like it was connected the way I think they wanted it to Do you know be. what's the one loose end? This is a tangent, I don't, know, I don't know if you care, but there's one big loose end that I always thought Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. would clear up, and apparently, from what I've heard, they never did, was, do you remember the end of Thor The Dark World? Um, the last fight scene, there was this, like, frost giant monster oh, yes. that was transported into yes. London. And, and the bonus scene, you see it running around yeah, London. Yeah, and he's still out there. And yeah. I thought that was going to be an enemy on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. they were going to have to take out. Right. From what I heard, that never happened. So this monster is still running around still the world. Still running around London. London. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. like, whatever happened with that? Like, I want to know. Right. Um, so Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., was, I don't, it wasn't really connected the way I think everyone was hoping it was going to be. Mm-hmm. The Netflix shows mentioned things in dialogue, like the Battle of New York and, you know, that kind of thing. But they yeah. never... I don't think they were connected the way I think we all wanted them to be. This sounds like these Disney Plus shows are going to be heavily connected because the WandaVision says the show and the film will be directly connected to each other. I think that's great. Well, it's great. That's the way it should be. It's great, but, and I agree with your statement, however, how many people just watch the movies? Yes, and I think... So there's, I think what they need to do is the movies still need to be understandable from somebody who's walking in and has no idea what's going on. They didn't watch the show that correlates with the movie, whatever. They still need to be able to understand the plot that's happening on screen. But the people who watch the show, I feel like they would be coming to the movie as if somebody who read the book for a movie based off that book would come to the movie. And they're going to get more out of it. They're going to get more little tidbits. They're going to maybe have a different understanding on certain things. And I think if it's done well, that's the way it will be done. Yeah, I I just hope the writers are smart enough to understand that you can't... You have to you have to remember there's people that will not be watching that show. Yeah. And they don't and you don't want them to show up to the movie going, I don't understand anything that's happening all of a sudden. <laughs> you know. So yeah. 
Well, I, I feel like, especially a Marvel movie, I bet is so focus-tested and stuff, and I feel like they're not going to let that slip through the cracks. If it was, like, a smaller independent studio, I'd be a little bit more worried, but I think... I'm sure Disney has, like, so many... Like, they really fine-tune their stuff before they put it out, so... Right. Um, so the next thing off the... The next thing to come out is going to be uh, Loki. Right. Television TV show, yeah. I really wasn't sure how I thought about this, and I wasn't really sure how it affected things until I read a little bit more about the show. And uh, the best way to break it down in terms of what they were allowed to tell us and what they weren't allowed to tell us is the Loki show will pick up immediately after Loki disappears with the Space Stone in yeah. Avengers Endgame. That's cool. Thoughts? I mean, I do have a thing, but it might be another big tangent, and I feel like you're just giving it <laughs> like, here's your tangent. So, Fire away. <laughs> this relates to uh, something a friend reminded me of, because we were in an argument about how Disney owns the rights to X-Men now, and of course they want to bring X-Men into the MCU, and my... my point was... Okay, hold on. Real quick. Before you tell your tangent, I know where you're going because you sent me a text about this. Yes. I have and I thought long and hard about this and you said I think I have this, we had this cool conversation Yeah. whatever. I honestly think I know exactly where you're going. Yeah, maybe. So let's, let's talk. Let's quick okay. tangent and we'll get back to the So news. my argument was that before bringing the X-Men into the MCU because in X-Men, mutants are supposed to have been around for centuries if not more like Wolverine was around during the Civil War. He fought in the World Wars. You have Apocalypse that goes back to Egyptian times. How can you have bring mutants into the MCU and be like, by the way, there was mutants this whole time. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And then my friend reminded me that uh, I think it was the Mind Stone created uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Yeah. And that was, so it was mutants, even though they, they, instead of calling it a mutation, I think they called it a miracle. And, uh, was that in Age of Ultron? Maybe. And, and they might've called it that in Age of Ultron, and, but and, then Captain America referred to them as enhanced. Okay. But, but like his point was like, those are essentially mutants created by an infin an infinity stone. Yeah. And the thing is Loki has the Tesseract and he's time traveling all around so side effects of that could be creating mutants in all sorts of time traveling. He's bouncing around the galaxy. The impression I heard from an early and you're going in a direction I didn't think you were going to so, go. So so the impression I got from an early description of the Loki show is that it was going to involve Loki time traveling and influencing big events that happen in the Earth. Oh okay. So this is an early description I heard. So that's just kind of what I'm going off of. But we were talking about like. Loki, from as far as we knew, he was going to be time traveling a little, at least a little bit, and that could be. Oh causing, yes, yes, I remember. And that could be uh, causing mutations to happen in different time periods. So after Loki's done running amok, hey, we have we actually have a lot of mutants in this universe, and I thought it was kind of a cool way to like, kind of backdoor bring in the mutants, you know, without it not making the rest of the universe make sense. That's not a bad uh, idea thinking about the mutants being around for a really long time. Yes, exactly. Because oh, well. that's because personally like Wolverine's history and him being that old and going through all those wars and stuff, that's one of my favorite parts about Wolverine. And if like Wolverine's just gonna be like a new mutant, no pun intended, in the MCU, like that's kind of really silly to me if it's like, oh, sure. this is teenage Wolverine or something. Where I thought that now since we're on the tangent, this is how I thought they were going to do it. Okay. Okay. And I could be incredibly wrong, and um, 
this just sounds. I mean, you've heard just, both of these theories here first, so just yeah, remember so this that. Is, this is yeah. just what I was thinking: was they state in Avengers Endgame that when Thanos snapped his finger, like the the snap heard around the world, around the universe yeah. anyway, that it released a massive concentrated amount of gamma radiation. Okay. And I thought to myself, what if that's what caused all the mutation? Because then they jump five years later. Yeah. So, yes, Wolverine might not have been as old as we wanted to, <laughs> yeah. but suddenly five years of mutants that we don't know about. Yeah, and that that's actually true, and that here's, could be a way to do it. Here's the next catch. Yeah. Here's the next catch. In Avengers Endgame, the fingers are snapped two more times. So that's three blasts of massive concentrated gamma radiation around the planet amongst two different movies. Three finger snaps. Dang. So that's a lot of potential mutation that could have happened. Um, and the only reason I thought of this is because, do you remember when Man of Steel, we were on the brink of Batman vs. Superman coming out, and you and I were talking about um, how there hasn't, there wasn't kryptonite in Man of Steel. And I remember saying to you, I think there was kryptonite in Man of Steel, but they never yeah. referred to it that way because they had to bring in the terraforming machines yeah. to try and terraform Earth, and then Superman destroyed the terraforming machines, but they had already introduced Kryptonian minerals into our soil. Mm -hmm. So now there's suddenly kryptonite on the planet, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened in Man yeah. of Steel. I'm sorry, in Mount Man of Steel, but in Batman Superman. So suddenly I was like, oh, I wonder if they took a page from Zack Snyder and said, well, gamma radiation got blasted around the planet five years ago. Yeah. You know, so it was just a thought. No, that's like, that's really smart. It actually gives me uh, two, actually, questions that come to mind. Oh, sure. I, is uh, how fast does the gamma radiation have to go around the Earth to turn back time? Like, if it travels around oh. really fast, will it turn back time? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And then my other question is, uh, how did that affect uh, the all that gamma radiation blast? How did it affect Abomination? I don't I mean, know. The abomination is still around. I mean, right, but <laughs> maybe but, he's like Godzilla size. Well, but point. that's why because Banner said uh, when he went to snap his fingers to bring everyone back, he's like, "I have to do it because the blast was gamma radiation, and I'm the only one who can handle yeah. it." You know, because it'd probably kill you guys. Mm -hmm. So you know, and sure enough, what what happened? Yeah, no, I, th I think <laughs> I think it's a definitely like a really good. Theory. That like, was just my thing. I think we actually both have some pretty solid, like, speculative uh, theories. You heard it here point. first, if we're um, right. <laughs> and if you can't tell, like, there's a couple loose ends in the MCU I want to see brought back, and if A Bomb shows up in one of the MCU movies riding the uh, the Frost Giant Monster from Thor the Dark World, that would be the coolest thing ever. Right. So. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do we're going to continue on with the Marvel stuff, yes. but we are running way long. Yeah, and I, know I and I know Comic Con's going to take. Um, yeah, we're on Comic Con's Comic gonna take a couple Comic Con weeks. catch up, right? It's, it's gonna take a couple weeks, so we're going to. We'll, we'll, how about this? Let's finish all the Marvel stuff, yeah, and then we'll move out of the list. And next week, we'll dump as much stuff as we can. Okay, that works. That sound good? Okay, yeah. um, there is like, uh, yeah, we'll dump more stuff next week. So this <laughs> yeah. will be a Marvel centric thing because they skipped out on Comic Con last year. So let's see what they got. So we just talked about Loki, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, the next thing to come out after Loki will be Doc Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So Doctor Strange right, 2. Yeah. This is the next movie on the list that I am very, very excited about. I've been looking forward to another Doctor Strange movie um, all along. Um, I loved the first one. I was very happy to see how they handled him in uh, Infinity War and Endgame, and I've just been looking for more. 
Um, Scarlet, Scarlet Witch, one of my favorite Marvel characters, will be in the Doctor Strange movie. And they said that Scarlet Witch's involvement in Doctor Strange is going to be on the same level of involvement as Hulk was in Thor Ragnarok. Sweet. So, like, that, I mean, that's a lot of involvement. Like, that's just in terms of, like, screen time. That's That was just a good comparison. So I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, I mean, technically everything we've just said is a giant spoiler, but this is all Comic-Con news and the movies are way off. So Yeah, I mean, I heard that uh, Doctor Strange was also going to have... So the first one was directed by a horror director, and I can't remember... I feel like the guy might have directed one of the Conjuring films or something, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but... From what I heard, and this people is kind of, I looked that up. yeah, this is just kind of hearsay. But I feel like uh, I heard this new Doctor Strange movie is actually going to even focus more on like the horror aspects than the previous ones. I love horror, and uh, especially like com- combining superheroes and horror. That's like one of my favorite things. So you know, I'm in. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Oh, it's Scott Derrickson. Okay. Yeah. Who directed Sinister. Oh, Sinister. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, do you know, is he directing the sequel? He is. Yeah. And nice. here's the best part. So director Scott Derrickson, who directed mm-hmm. Sinister, stated that there will be gothic horror elements and psychedelic weirdness in the first scary Marvel film. Good. I like so it. So it sounds like they're going like very horror-esque <laughs> with this movie. I mean, so. psychedelic weirdness sounds like Doctor Strange, and uh, I guess they have to start competing competing with the uh, Sony Venomverse or whatever it is with Venom and Morbius. Maybe they want to have some more scares right, right, in right. there. So. Um, so moving on, from, I, that, that one I'm very excited about. So the movies I'm really excited about the most are Black Widow and Doctor Strange. Sweet. Um, I'm... <laughs> Yeah, so let's put it this way. In terms of the television shows coming out for Disney+, Plus, yeah. um, if you were on a fence at all but you're a Marvel fan, we're all getting Disney+, Plus, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, What If is the next thing that's coming out? Yes. Do you know what this is? I know it's a show. I've it, heard it might be animated, but yes, gonna, I do it's know It's going to be an animated show for Disney+. Plus. My only guess, and there's not a lot that was really talked about this, I just have a feeling that this is going to be like a animated this will be it this will be something for kids yeah when i heard animated sense, yeah. i don't think it'll be marvel cinematic universe connected <laughs> yeah i don't show. think it's gonna be the edgy adult one <laughs> yeah i i i don't either so um i'm not entirely i'm not entirely sure there's probably information yeah. that i was not able to find what but. if the falcon got addicted to painkillers yeah it's not gonna be that kind of a show it's gonna be what that if. sounds that sounds very dc with no, arsenal yeah. back in the day <laughs> no, i know um <laughs> All right, so the next thing coming out is another show, uh, which is Hawkeye. Okay. I didn't know this. So this one... I I thought we watched the Hawkeye show, and it was right in the middle of uh, Age of Ultron. Oh, yeah. That's funny. (laughs) It's just going to be a sitcom about his family life. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So this is kind of cool... to be honest, I've seen so many of the like infographics people make that have the Marvel timeline with all the logos, and every time I've looked, I've literally just ignored Hawkeye, and I don't know if it's because there's all these new things to be excited about, and that one title just kind of like, I let it fly by, but yeah, I mean, I, now that I'm actually being forced to talk about it, it seems like it'd be an awesome show. Well, so it's going to, kind of it's going to cover that. his daughter, Kate Bishop. Um, so probably grooming her to be the next, say, Hawkeye or whatever. Yeah. That'd be my guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was really cool, and I'm I'm down. I like Hawkeye. I know, like, I feel like he gets laughed at a little bit, but I always liked Hawkeye. 
I mean, I maybe like I feel like since the first Avengers movie, I feel like he's gotten a lot of love though too, and he's kind of a fan favorite yeah. because of his lack of powers, but he can still hold hold his own and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So, um, well, the next one after Hawkeye, this is we're back to a movie, and I feel like this is the big controversial one, and that is Thor. Love and Thunder. Right. Um, so Thor 4, uh, Tyke's coming back, so that's awesome. Like, we're all excited. Yeah. I can say I don't hate this m- title as much as I hate WandaVision, but I don't know that I'm a fan of this title. Well, do you know what this is going to entail? I know about the Jane Foster thing. Okay, yeah. so Natalie Portman, who plays Jane Foster, is returning to the Thor franchise. Awesome. Good for Natalie. Yeah. I like Natalie Portman, so here we go. Um, but... If you know comic books, you know at some point Jane Foster was able to pick up the hammer and became Thor. Yes. They are going to cover this in the movie. Now, there's a bit of news that I'm going to drop a little bit later. That they, There's something that didn't get discussed at Comic-Con, but something got said about it okay. at Comic-Con, which is directly connected. So, nice. how do you feel about Natalie Portman picking up the hammer and... I want to see your workout routine. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, I think it's cool. I uh, I like Natalie Portman a lot. I'm kind of excited to see her actually willingly come back to a Thor movie. I think that uh, yeah, I mean it's an interesting thing because they did this in the comics and uh, it, it a lot of there was some controversial, it. but it gained traction as being pretty popular, even so though a lot of people. And hate I think I think well, I think what happened is there's like a difference in the comic book guy who goes to the comic book shop every week and picks up his issues and the marvel movie audience like i think the marvel movie audience is like this is awesome i can't wait this is so exciting and i think there are a lot of comic book guys who just absolutely hated when thor became jane foster because they really just wanted to read about thor like that's like you know it's like they're reading about their friend they've read about him for years why are you changing this up um, but it sounds like both characters are going to be in this movie. It right. sounds like it's going to be Thor and Jane Foster side by side. I think it's awesome. Uh, the Thor movies just keep getting better and better, so I'm excited. I just there's don't been, know if I like that subject. There's been some. Jo- there's been some jokes about. There's been some jokes about Natalie Portman's workout and if she's going to get built for the movie. Honestly, I think it'd be better if Natalie Portman draws all her power from the hammer and doesn't yeah. get and doesn't get any yeah. bigger, and she stays her Natalie Portman size that she is. Yeah, um, no, I agree with that. Because in theory, and I, I don't know if you and I have ever talked about this, but in theory, Superman should not be bulky. Yeah, you shouldn't. He should just be a normal looking dude. He shouldn't have big muscles because he draws his power from somewhere specific. He should just look like a normal guy. And have the super strength. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I agree with that. I think he definitely doesn't need to be jacked. I think like that he should look physically fit, just because like his Kryptonian metabolism is that good that he's always going to look fit. But he doesn't sure. have to be huge. Um, I definitely agree with that, and I do understand the concept of like if it if it's a character who's powerful not from working out, they don't necessarily have to look all jacked up. So right. I mean. Yeah, totally on the same page. All right, so Thor Love and Thunder, and then the next movie that has a release date of To Be Determined. Nice. It's the only one that has a To Be Determined date on it, and that is Blade. Yes, and this is probably the one I'm the most excited about out of all of them. This is awesome that we're bringing back Blade, but I have an interesting theory about Blade because, (laughs) uh, well, first off, Mahershala Ali is playing Blade. Apparently, they've talked to him multiple times about 
joining the Marvel Universe, and his response was, I'm only coming, I'm only going to do it if I can be born. Yeah. <laughs> so this has clearly been on the table for a while. <laughs> right on. Um, I was talking with a buddy at work, and he said, how are they going to explain where the vampires have been this whole time? Interesting question. The next question he asked was, what happened to the vampires when Thanos snapped his fingers? Because technically vampires aren't alive. <laughs> yeah, so I would think nothing would happen. Well, that made me laugh. I was like, oh, hey, so mm-hmm. like half the world, half the universe's population disappeared except for vampires. I, I did honestly have a thought of like, what, you know, how are they going to explain where the vampires have been? I did actually think of that because it's the same thing with the mutants. Like, how do they bring this in? But I don't know if with Blade, if it could be like the vampires are kind of an isolated, like there's an isolated group of vampires surrounding one city sort of thing. How about this? The problem I have the answer right now. <laughs> okay. If you remember, and th- this is me just thinking into what we know is coming and knowing comic books. If you go back into uh, uh, the Marvel Comics, Blade was introduced in Spider-Man mm-hmm. to help Spider-Man deal with Morbius, the living vampire. Right. We have a Morbius movie coming. On the Spider-Man side of things with Sony, Jared Leto is playing Morbius. What if Blade is going to be introduced in a Spider-Man film to help deal with Morbius, and then we get a solo Blade film? That is... I mean, if that's the what's happening, that's, like, some very, like, uh, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes, like, work between the MCU and Sony that we just don't know about. Exactly. Yeah. And they have and they haven't set, aside from, like, a couple, like, set shots from Morbius, we don't know anything. Yeah. And I think, I hope that you're right, because I think that would be awesome. Right. It yeah. would be awesome. It would be amazingly awesome. And if if it's not that way, I think a wizard did it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> but no, like, let's do it exactly how they did it in the comic books. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Wouldn't that be amazing? No, I think that's really cool. I hope right. that's right. I don't... I'm not going to get my hopes up, but I'll be optimistic that I hope that's right. right so, I yeah. just... They're, they're setting stuff up, and that's all that went through my head. It's like, things are... <laughs> th- the stars are falling in line, and we are all... Uh, um, and everything's right with the world. <laughs> um, so, here... All right, so that is it for Phase 4. That's all they said. Okay. Okay. Here are is a couple pieces, and then we got to move on to the list because Marvel has completely taken yeah. over this podcast this week. Guardians of the Galaxy three was not discussed at Comic Con. Okay. However, James Gunn was asked about it, and he said that it will take place after the events of Thor: Love and Thunder. Okay. So yeah. the only thing I guess is that's that means that's those so movies weird. have to be mul- they have to technically be connected. Because he has to be an Asgardian of the galaxy. That's like, because it's just so weird because at the end of Endgame, you would think Thor and the Guardians would be going around doing stuff, and it would be almost like that movie would be a bridge between Endgame and Love and Thunder. So hearing that it comes afterwards, that just kind of makes me go, uh, what? Okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of like, what is going yeah. on, but at the same time. I, I was just thinking of, uh, it is Phase 4, and I kind of feel like it's a missed opportunity that they don't have the Fantastic Four in there anywhere like could you imagine what if the fantastic four was launching phase four or something like oh that? my god why and like they should be now that you say the last, that they should yeah, be it's phase four here's the fantastic exactly. four done and then uh the last fantastic four movie that came out i think everybody's over like they're kind of ignoring at this point i think another fantastic four reboot would be okay like i think people would be ready for it so um one last quick piece of marvel news uh shield is canceled 
<laughs> Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is over. Uh, Marvel's announced that the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will end after its seventh season, making it the longest-running Marvel TV series to date. We're never going to find out what happened to that monster in London, I guess. Yeah, right. Apparently, apparently, um, they have been trying... ABC's tried to cancel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. many times, and Disney wouldn't let them do it. Disney owns ABC, so I see how that works. Um, so, nice. Okay. Yeah, so Agents <laughs> of S.H.I.E.L.D. is done. Um, and one last thing since we're on Disney, I'll bring this up, and then it's time for the list, and we have to go on. So this came out of... <laughs> This came out of uh, Comic-Con as well. Because Disney acquired Fox and The Simpsons is going to be moving to Disney+, Plus. Uh, Matt Groening, Matt Groening, however you say his last name, who created The Simpsons, uh, he had this to say. The first Simpsons movie killed us. It's probably really difficult for him to put it in, okay? First Simpsons movie killed us. We almost, we're almost recovered, but no doubt there will be another Simpsons movies one of these days. Disney wants something for its money. So I'm willing to bet Disney goes, uh, no, you guys have to make another movie. But I also think Disney's like, it's going to be on Disney Plus, so get it done. Oh, You know right. what I mean? Okay. I don't know. I mean... I don't know. Disney D23's coming, and we're going to get lots of Disney yeah. movies. So. As much as like this, like a lot of people I know who love The Simpsons, as much as their fandom has waned, I feel like a lot of us would still come back together to see a simpsons movie in theaters right so like when hearing that like i want it to be in theaters i don't know but, yeah. i didn't i didn't expect another simpsons movie until i saw that and i'm like whoa what mm. do you mean the first simpsons movie let me read that again i don't so, yeah i don't know if i know what it, he means by it killed them but i have a feeling it was just i don't think they ever planned on it and then the amount of work that it took to put that together yeah was just way way beyond what they expected and then on top of that they had to keep doing the show and that kind of stuff so i just <laughs> right. you know um so yeah, I. How about this, Comic Con? There's so much stuff to talk about, and there's so much stuff to talk about next week. So, Marvel took over this week. No big deal. Uh, we're gonna cover more Comic Con news next week because that's yeah. all anyone's gonna be talking about for a while. Is the it's stuff Comic Con month? I mean, it's let's have the 12 days of Comic Con. Let's stretch this out because <laughs> I want to. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, let's talk the list tonight. Sounds okay. great. So Ryan, list time. Roll the thing. Peter, this was your list pick, so why don't you explain? Yeah, um, I mentioned last week that uh, this list pick is uh, our top five favorite comic book artists. Um, This is something that I also mentioned last week is very near and dear to my heart. It's one of my favorite topics. It's uh, drawing comics is one of my favorite things to do in my spare time when I'm not recording this podcast or working, so... I just thought this would be awesome. I'm a huge uh, just comic book creator nerd, I guess, even more so than a lot of the characters. I get really into following the different cre- uh, creators and seeing their craft and how they do things, and uh, I just thought this would be great to do. Plus, it's Comic-Con month, like I just said, <laughs> so, I mean, let's let's talk some comics. So uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on the list or if you just want to dive in. Yeah, so here's the thing. Peter is, between the two of us, I'm the writer, Peter's the artist, um, when are we going to collaborate and do our own thing? <laughs> I don't know yet, but uh, it's it's really easy to discuss writing on an audio podcast. Yeah, and you guys, as an audience, can follow along. However, with when we're discussing art, it is not that easy. So mm-hmm. I might try and find some 
art pieces and maybe post on the Twitter. Or Peter can put them up on Facebook, whatever yeah. the case may be. Um, so Peter is going to have to help me explain the art that we're discussing a little bit. Right. And there's two artists that I actually had to pull visual aids for uh, for you to help me talk about them because oh, okay. everyone on my list, you will will be able to know off the top of your head in terms of the art that I'm talking about. There's just two that I felt I had to bring up. Okay. That yeah, I actually had to bring some visual aids for. So um, visual aids that the audience can't see, but they're really for Peter to look at so he can help chat yeah. about them. Um, so this is your pick, so I guess I have to go first. Do you have any honorable mentions? <laughs> I do. I have two, actually. It was very hard to narrow down this list, so there's um, I tons of guys I, I love thought the that same I don't thing. have. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, so my first honorable mention is only an honorable mention because I don't think he's ever done a comic book. But okay. his art, and you'll understand what I mean in a second, but his art style heavily influenced a lot of stuff. And especially when you look at like the Batman Adventures comic or the Superman Adventures, but that's Bruce Tim. Okay. And the only reason I wanted to put him as honorable, like I'd love to put him higher on the list, but I don't think he's done a comic book, but his art is what was used for all the animated shows for DC. Yeah. And then that art style was then later used in the comics themselves. Yeah. Do you know? But he didn't do any of them. He just did the television series. And that's... I'm actually wondering if somewhere along the line, Bruce Timm did some kind of comic. That's actually somebody who I didn't think of, but that's an amazing artist. Um, I still don't think he breaks my top five, but he's like... Bruce Timm's art, specifically, how striking his characters looked, um, how they were very stylized and simplified, but in a very good way that was efficient for animation his style really defined uh i think american animation for like the whole 90s i would say like you see you watch cartoons after batman of the animated series came out they look different from then on so i think that's an amazing pick and like it's just kind of cool like even today we still see you know we still see animated shows using bruce tim's techniques and style some of it. the bruce tim artwork is that's how I sometimes see those characters. Like that's oh, yeah. some of the like it's some of the best ways of just visualizing the characters as they are. So mm-hmm. and his style was like when Batman the animated series came out and I think that's like kind of when everybody noticed his style. Um I think it was just so he mentions like if you go into like interviews with him and stuff, he mentions being influenced by the uh 1940s uh, Max Fleischer Superman cartoons, and you can see a lot of that influence on Batman the Animated Series, but it also has a really new, edgy style that for the time when it came out, like the early 90s, it just kind of, I think, blew everybody away because it just felt so now when it came out, and it still has like a really edgy, striking look to it, while still having the classic like comic book-esque, Fleischer-esque aspects to it, so... Okay, sweet. So that would probably move into my next pick. I don't know if you're familiar... Honorable mention? Yes, yeah, honorable mention. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy at all. I have a uh, couple of uh, manga artists on my list, but the first guy I wanted to talk about is uh, Junji Ito. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. Um, here's a spelling if you want. No, um, that's, yeah, you talk. I'll spell. Yeah. Um, so this is a... Uh, he's a manga artist who... Uh, he's known for doing... That's funny. Um, I spelled the first name correctly. Yeah. Um, he's known for doing, like... Japanese horror comics, basically. His, oh, okay. uh, his most well-known work is this uh, story called Uzumaki, which is... Uh, and I might be saying these things very badly, but uh, 
Uzumaki means uh, spiral in Japanese, and it's about this girl who lives in a town, and uh, she just kind of goes around her daily business and doesn't notice a lot of things, but one day she realizes how many spirals are in her town, and she, like, looks at the grass, and the grass is uh, curling into spirals and stuff, and it's like this weird phenomenon where she starts to realize this is something that doesn't happen elsewhere. This just happens in my town. And then stuff starts kind of turning up the, up a notch where there's people who are involved in spiral-related uh, spiral deaths or spiral-related weird happenings. Okay. And uh, it all, like, unwinds into this really weird uh, story. But this um, is pretty well known because it... Uh, was released as, like, a Japanese horror film. But uh, I wanted to pick this guy because uh, he's not, like, one of these artists that I grew up and I loved. I've actually read some of his stuff really recently, but he's one of the better horror artists that I've read, where you read his stuff and it you get really immersed in it. You get very frightened, actually. Like, it, sure. you actually get a sense of dread, which is really hard to pull off in comic book form. Uh, he does a lot of the thing, a lot of this technique where somebody looks freaked out and then you turn the page and actually see what they see and it's like some really frightening grotesque image which is an awesome technique to use sure um but yeah that was just my next pick so okay yeah. um my next honorable mention is greg capullo okay nice um, i love greg i really capullo. wanted to put him higher on my list but when i looked at my the rest of my list i was like this is just <laughs> It's just it just was way too different. Uh, Greg Capullo, uh, most people know him now from Batman, mm-hmm. uh, because of his work with Scott Snyder, The Court of Owls, like Batman Eternal, like all the stuff going on with Batman currently in DC Comics. Greg Capullo is like the guy. So it's like Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo as a team. That's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing, the only reason he doesn't jump to like a list is because I love like all the artwork. But every now and then he's got some character models with r- people that aren't in masks that I'm not a fan of. Right. And that's the only reason. So I've, um, I've, I know what you're talking about because Greg Capullo, at the core of his style, he is a really cartoony guy. Like, he's got some cartoony stuff. And uh, a lot of people know him from Batman, but what his claim to fame before that was he had a really long run on Spawn. Yes, He yes. had a huge run on Spawn. And he... His stuff was really exaggerated and cartoony, like I was saying, but on Spawn, his just his stuff was so gritty. So the cartooniness with the grittiness really like worked to make this really right. fantastical world that was also had that really Spawn like edgy grit to it. And the Batman stuff, it's not as gritty. So I I, I do know what you mean, where some of the characters probably look a little more cartoony than what you want. No, them it's to. just it's just the characters out of mask. Yeah, like, like when, you, when you have when you have Batman stuff, yeah. in the mask. He looks great. When yeah. you have Bruce Wayne, I'm not a fan of, like, he's, he looks fine. It's Bruce Wayne. But some of his facial features, I'm like, just put him back in the mask, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that goes for all of the, you know, I feel like that goes for everything. So Yeah. Um, I think Greg Capullo, another thing that I'd like to point out about the guy is, uh, like, I love his drawing style, but one of the biggest things I like about him is his storytelling is really cool. Like, the way he designs a page when you're reading it, he really knows how to make things dynamic he knows how to lead your eye around the page um there's a part in uh the new 52 batman run where you actually have to turn the comic upside down to read it yeah that's just kind of a cool storytelling thing to do um and then if you go to to turn them sideways and some cool like splash pages where they did that yeah and then when you go to back to his old spawn stuff like 
he gets really creative and weird with some of those page layouts are just crazy but they're so cool so yeah i think that's an awesome yeah, pick. yeah. yeah. uh honorable mention go ahead my next honorable mention is uh ed mcginnis uh we yeah. talked about him a lot when we went to c2e2 because he was there but this is a guy who i when i was in high school and when i was just like super like really into comic book art i'd come home from school draw every day this was the guy i wanted to draw like like this was my favorite artist at the time um i think he's got a really bombastic cool style he's almost like a modern version of jack kirby in a lot of ways where all his characters look like big and clunky but they also look really cool and cartoony at the same time uh the only reason he's not higher on my list i think is just because his storytelling i don't think is my favorite out of everybody but i do really like this guy's style too so sure okay and i know you like ed mcginnis with like uh his batman superman yeah no i i like his work um all right so that's my first actual pick right yeah we're done with honorable mentions so my first actual pick is gonna be michael turner okay um, oh yeah, this yeah, that's a great pick. Yeah. Uh, the first time I think I noticed Michael Turner in terms of his pick is when he did uh, the Supergirl run, uh, when he did the Supergirl story arc with Jeff Loeb for the Batman Superman, uh, yeah. comic. That's I think the first time I was like, who is this artist? Now I'd seen the art before, but it was like, wow, who is this artist? Um, really, really cool. I got to meet him a couple times. He was really gracious at this time. Took time to talk, that kind of thing. Um, signed a couple books for me. Michael Turner, um, he just had this, he just had this way of like drawing the characters. Um, I want to say it was very realistic looking, but a little exaggerated. Um, so it just, everything just looked really good. Like I wanted to go live in that universe. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, uh, unfortunately he died fairly early, like mid thirties. He passed away from cancer, but, um, yeah. It, it's it's really sad that he passed away. Um, he was I did look super, up some of his other stuff, like Soulfire, and when yeah. he did stuff for the Aspen comics and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But he um, he was super prolific, though. Like uh, I remember going to a Comic Con once, and they just had a table. I think it was the Top Cow booth, because like those comics you mentioned, like Aspen and Soulfire, yeah. those were like Top Cow Top Cow comics. And they I think that booth had just tables of just like you know. Uh, tables of like port drawing portfolios that were just filled with like his i don't know if they were originals or what but you could go up and you could flip through them and he had so many drawings and they were all gorgeous um michael turner's a great pick i uh we actually didn't match on this one but i think he's like he's like up there he's amazing um he's got this style where so in the 90s image image comics happened and the image was like guys like Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, uh, Rob Liefeld, stuff like that. And they kind of launched the first super successful independent company that wasn't DC or Marvel, right? So Image Comics happened, and it had a very edgy, very sketchy, like really bombastic style that everybody noticed. And uh, I think Michael Turner kind of took that style and made something that wasn't just edgy and bombastic his like i feel like even guys who don't like the image guys seem to have a lot of respect for michael turner because he just was even just with a pen and ink and just drawing it's like people just had like this impression like this guy's making art like it's not even just comic book art this guy's making art and like it's just kind of cool that he 
the way he elevated that style and just how much respect people have for him and you know he's amazing so right. yeah uh, what's your next pick? Okay, my next pick is uh, my own, first actual. Pick. Yes, my first actual pick is uh, it's actually my only other manga pick. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy, but it's uh, Kentaro Miura. Kentaro Miura. <laughs> it's hard to say out loud, but uh, he's. Uh, I've mentioned the. I've mentioned the manga series Berserk before. It's one of my favorites. This is the artist and writer of that series. Um, this guy's actually probably higher up on my list, but since I didn't think Drew would have a lot to say, I thought I'd get it out of the way. But here's this the guy is a, this is a category where you're gonna do way more talking than I am. <laughs> Fair enough. Because you know the art stuff <laughs> right on, on right much on. more than I do. Like I go look um, at it and go, that's an awesome piece of work. Yeah. You know, and um so this guy is a like it's he's a manga artist, so it's mostly just black and white pen and ink. Like that's what he does. But this guy does pages that are so detailed. And this comic is something that takes place in a medieval fantasy world. And he draws like there's some of his like double page spreads that it's just like this huge like battlefield or like something with like a castle and mountains and stuff. And it just looks like something you could go wander around in. Like it looks so well for pen and ink, and it's so detailed. And I think he's just done a really good job bringing the characters to life and the world to life that he's drawn um and then just also like his storytelling is really beautiful too like he does pretty standard like you know like square box storytelling or just like standard manga storytelling but every once in a while he has like a crazy double page spread where um it'll have like a close-up shot of somebody and then something else like some weird faded away background and he gets kind of like some of his more creative pages are really like powerful too i guess is what i'm trying to say so this is an artist who i think is like one of the best and it's hard to kind of put into words the amazing stuff about him so sure um all right so my next pick um i actually have to use one of my visual aids for okay um, and that's scott mcdaniel um, right. He yeah. did. Um, you get to help me explain some of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, he enough. did a lot of the early Nightwing um, artwork. Um, I what I really liked is it's a very realistic kind of a look, but it's also very cartoony. I almost feel like it's like the edgy version of what Bruce Tim. Yeah. Probably could be. Yeah. If that makes sense. I could see so, that. Like definitely some Bruce Tim influence. Um. For me, this... So, Scott McDaniel has, like, a pretty unique style. For me, I think his, like, the high contrast, like, lighting in his work is probably the most, like, noteworthy, where he has a person, like, he'll draw a picture of a person's face, and he won't draw the lines around the face, he'll just draw the shadows, and it'll be super high contrast, but it gives it a really edgy look, and it's, like, just exaggerated enough to really kind of excite your imagination. Um, this guy... One of the cool things I think he does with storytelling is something that uh, Drew, back in the day, you actually pointed out to me, where he does a lot of panels that it'll be, like, a big panel, and it'll show, like, Nightwing, for example, will be flipping around on a building, and he'll draw Nightwing in one panel, he'll draw him, like, seven or eight times, yeah, flipping around, so you get to look at each drawing of Nightwing and follow the, uh, the motion movement, that the he's taking. The movement across yeah. the screen. And I think that's really creative. He did a uh, Superman series that I really enjoyed that, I think, back when I was Which in high series? school... Oh, I'd I'd have to actually dig it up, but the, most of my most of my picks tonight have to do yeah. with Batman because I've read that more than almost <laughs> yeah. anything. 
But um, Scott McDaniel, I, I I noticed him first reading Nightwing, and yeah. then uh, he did a he did a run with Ed Brubaker when Red Brubaker tackled Batman. Okay. Back in the day. So. Yeah, I'll have to dig it up and bring it over. I know when I was in high school, you actually bought me like every issue of the that Superman series just because you're an awesome older brother. <laughs> so oh, like, I, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll have to dig that up. But yeah, I I loved his Superman stuff, and I think this is a guy who he did have a really cool style, and he's kind of like I don't know what he's doing now. Like I kind of miss seeing Scott McDaniel because I don't know. I haven't well, seen maybe him he'll for a pop long up time. At a con. You know what we'll I mean? have to keep an eye out. <laughs> well, I don't mean like in person, but like <laughs> right. I miss seeing his artwork. You know what I mean? So. Yep. All right. So what's your next? So film? this one would go to my next pick, uh, which is Frank Frazetta. Are you familiar with Frazetta? I at am all? not. I gotta Google a picture really quick because I know you know this guy. Um, so Frank Frazetta is one of the most famous uh, fantasy artists there is out there. So he's oh, like... Then, the, then I probably but he was, do. He's famous like in the uh, like 70s, like like old-timey when people actually used paint and stuff like that. So you but, say uh, that as if he probably did some D&D artwork or something like that. He did like a lot of... famous. So like the picture I'm oh, showing like Conan. now... Yeah, is uh, Conan, yeah, for example. Okay. But he did a lot of... Um, the Death Dealer is another one that's one of his famous uh, paintings. I've he seen did, both those paintings. He, he's done a lot of uh, Conan. He did like a I lot said, of it's really for, weird as an audio format yeah, to be he, talking art. He did a ton of work for the old EC comics, like Tales from the Crypt, uh, Creepy and Eerie, especially. Sure. He did a ton of those. But this guy is a guy who's a fantasy artist. Like he's a painter, and the way he paints is so amazing like i don't even know if i can put it into words but he has the perfect balance of realism as well as like visual brush strokes like he has a very painterly style you can tell it's a painting it doesn't look like a photograph but he just does this really what good way of balancing that so that you look at the picture and it really captures your imagination and it because not everything's clear, some things look really brush strokey, some things look more refined. It kind of helps you imagine like I don't know, because it kind of looks unfinished, but it doesn't, and it makes you, it kind of excites your imagination in that way. Like, the parts right. that are less finished, it makes you think, oh, well, I'm going to imagine what's over there, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a lot of people forget about Frank Frazetta is he did a lot of covers for, like, uh, creepy comics, for example, like I said before, but he also did a lot of the interior artwork, uh, you know, just black and white pen and ink horror comics, and his uh, his stuff in there is, like, just really good, too, like, it's just solid storytelling, really cool style for, you know, pen and ink as well, so. Sure, okay. Um, all right, that goes to me? Yes. All right, so my next one, I gotta look at my list and see who I <laughs> talked about. Um... Okay, so my next one is, uh, we'll go with Jim Lee. Awesome. Did we match on this one? No, we didn't, actually. Oh, but that's kind of he, funny. He's, he got really close. Jim Lee is high up there for me. All of He's another image founder, and like those guys are like you know, my favorites. <laughs> Jim Lee's claim to fame is, falls all the way back to the original 90s X-Men. The mm-hmm. 90s X-Men look the way they look because of Jim Lee, and it's kind of like the standard look for what the X-Men yeah. are. Um, fun, the costumes fact, and stuff have been altered a little bit and whatnot yeah. since he's left. But to be honest, like when you say X Men, most people remember the X Men from the Jim Lee yeah. run, um, and he was on it for a long time. Now Jim Lee is like all DC because he's one of the um, uh, chief editors and stuff over yeah. at DC. And like, I love his Batman work. I love his Superman work, like what he does for DC. Like I absolutely love how everything looks. It's so amazing. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, you really like if you read the Batman Hush story, that is some of his best. That's I feel like that's some of Jim Lee's absolute best. Um, and you really see the detail he puts into his work. Yeah. When you see like Batman swinging through the air, and you can actually see the tread on his boots, I'm <laughs> like, man, he really like he, you know, because a lot of times they don't show you the yeah. tread on the bottom of Batman's boots. Um, but he also draws Batman with short ears. Yeah. Um, I really like short ear Batman as opposed to the long ears. So <laughs> yeah. um, it just makes more sense. And I'm not talking like Adam West short, but definitely short ear <laughs> Batman. Yeah. Uh, uh, ben Affleck's Batman ears is a good example of short ear Batman as opposed to like uh, the Val Kilmer. Or yeah. Michael Keaton I think when I saw his uh, Batman, it actually reminded, or it actually made me understand why short ear Batman is cool because like I've always liked the long ears but then I saw Jim Lee like draw Batman I was like oh he actually does look cool with short ears and now I'm kind of on the fence like it depends on the artist it, it really know? depends on the artist but for me like it comes down to it like you know what if I had if a gun to your head do you like short ears and long ears on Batman it's short ears <laughs> yeah for sure so. um I think this is an awesome pick I think Jim Lee's style is uh I did get to meet him Signed a couple books for me. Yeah. Awesome. So that's great. If Jim, if you're listening, thank you very much. <laughs> His, Hope to meet you again some other <laughs> some later. His style is both like super realistic and super uh, super sketchy, and like also like it looks realistic, like it looks like real characters, but it's got just enough of like edgy exaggeration to fit so well in in a comic book. He also like a lot of times his work is inked very uh, sketchily and. Uh, I think that's a lot of credit for that has to go to uh, Scott Williams, I believe I'm saying the correct name, Yes, is like the inker who works with him for a long time, and this is a guy who's been working with him since Image, and uh, he, Scott Williams brings like a really sketchy quality to Jim Lee's inks, and it's just like, it's so cool the way it looks. Um, I did want to point out a couple like little tidbits. Is you mentioned uh, when he did the nine the X Men in the nineties where it was Jim Lee and Chris Claremont, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that book that X Men number one with Jim Lee and Chris Claremont is the world's best selling comic book ever. That's interesting, and I, I'm pretty sure it's still that way. Like nothing has ever sold as well as that one comic, and you go back and look at it, and it still looks cool. Even like, over the awesome. even over the death of Superman. You see, that's I'm pretty sure yes. Okay, but yeah, I feel yeah, like everyone question. bought the Death of Superman because they're like, oh my god, this is gonna yeah. be worth so much money, and then and and I've like I don't have like a definitive source right now, but like from what I've read, I think that X Men number one is still the best selling comic worldwide. Period. Um, another thing you were talking about, Jim Lee doing Batman. Another like, if you want something that because I've gone back and read those old X Men books, and they're a little bit more. Uh, wordy than I think I like and if you want like a really accessible book to read to get into Jim Lee's artwork uh the new 52 Justice League is actually a great place to start I think where you can read the first volume of it and I think it's the first two volumes are Jim Lee but the first volume of it kind of plays out in a similar story to the first Avengers movie and it's like it's just a really cool good read that's still like new enough that I think it'd be easy for new readers to get into Jim Lee so Right on. Sweet. So that would be back to my next pick. Uh, yes. I'm actually, like, while you were talking, I'm trying to find the, okay, the ten, the top ten best-selling comic books of all time. Spawn number one is number ten. Number nine is Superman, Man of Steel, number 22. Uh, number eight is Adventures of Superman, number 501. 
Um, I don't. There's not full covers, so yeah, I and that's what that. I'd love to know what the actual stories um, were. Number seven is Superman. Number seventy eight. Um, number six was Action Comics. Number six eighty seven. Um, now here you go. Number five is Spider Man. Number one. This is the beginning of the torment. Uh, Todd McFarlane story. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, number four is uh, Superman number seventy five, which is the death, which is the start of the death of Superman. Right. Yeah. Um, number three is the Adventures of Superman number five hundred. Hey, Superman is the best selling. <laughs> that is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, number two is X Force number one, which I thought was weird. And well, I think that's I think X Force number one is Rob Liefeld, and that's right yeah. during that '90s comic yep. book boom. And you're absolutely right. Number one is X Men number one. Yep. Seven seven point one million copies. It's awesome, and that's yep. just like that's the book that like for the '90s it just defined like the '90s and like everything was history yep. from there. Um, going into my next pick, uh, I went with Joe Matarera. Yes, um, I know who that is. Yeah, and this is a guy who. He did. He's another X Men artist, actually. That was kind of his claim to fame. Is he went to Marvel and he did Deadpool, I think, first, and then he got sent over to X Men, and that's where he kind of developed his style. Because um, he actually started with a style that was actually pretty close to a realistic, sketchy, like Jim Lee sort of thing, and he ended up slowly morphing into this big, like, cartoony, exaggerated, like, really anime influenced style. And it's he's got a really cool, like unique look that I actually really love because it's cartoony and it reminds me of superhero comics and anime but it also reminds me of old like classic Disney animation um, which is kind of cool because he ended up moving into doing uh, Battle Chasers which was his uh, Wildstorm like independent comic that he did and that's just like a really cool fun fantasy story and then uh, later on he left the comic book world and went into doing the uh, Darksiders game so if you're fans of uh if you're a fan of Darksiders and you like that comic book style, Joe Mad is like totally the guy to uh, thank for that. But this is a guy who, yeah, his storytelling's good. I think the comics he's been involved in are good. But I think I just really love the way he draws characters and the way he draws stuff. Like it's got such a cool, exaggerated aspect to it that I just it's awesome so right mm -hmm. all right very cool um so that comes back to me uh, my next pick is tony s daniel right okay Do you know who this is yes this is, the, this is a visual aid one i had to bring in yeah um i first noticed him in new 52 when dc started the new 52 run yeah. he did some work before that obviously but this is where i was like oh my god this his his work is astounding it's dark it's gritty it's um very realistic, very, like, it almost doesn't, in, in a, like, it's comic booky, but in a way it doesn't look comic booky. Does yeah. that make sense? It's just, it's really, really good. I'm surprised Alex Ross hasn't come up in our conversation yet. <laughs> yeah, but, that's for sure. Um, um, but no, so yeah, go ahead. No, Tony S. Daniel. So, like, I've mentioned, I mentioned last week that uh, with comic books, and you can probably already tell, I tend to skew more... Like, I like the cartoony guys a little bit more, but, and this guy, so this guy's kind of, like, on the opposite spectrum of what I usually like, 
but this guy is one of the realistic guys I actually like a ton. Like, I love his line work. I like how everything... I really like pen and ink stuff, so I really like the way he defines all his characters with his line work. I like that, like you said, everything's gritty and... He also writes his like, own stuff, so it's Tony S. Daniel, yeah. writer and artist. Mm-hmm. So No, I think this guy's a great pick. I haven't read a lot of his stuff, but maybe I can borrow it from, from you, you know? But yeah, yeah I, th- I think it's really good-looking stuff and a great pick, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, yeah, go ahead, man. Moving into my next pick, um, Todd McFarlane. So this is another uh, this is another image founder. Um, but as Drew said before, like this guy, um, he was probably kind of blew up because of his work on Spider Man. Like before, he blew up because of yeah, his work on Spider Man. Before Spider Man. And then Spawn. Yeah, and that was like, he started out, I know he started out, I think, doing Hulk, or that was one of the things where he started gaining traction, and he eventually did Spider-Man, that's where he just blew up. Um, If you've ever seen a drawing of Spider-Man with big eyes, it is either Todd Todd McFarlane's, or it has Todd McFarlane to thank, because he's kind of the guy who brought Spider-Man to having big eyes and having expressive eyes. Every version of Spider-Man ever. Well, okay, so <laughs> so Spider-Man always... Ha- you go back to the Steve Ditko comics, he had big eyes, but Todd McFarlane's the guy who started drawing Spider-Man with eyes covering his face. Oh, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah, massive, I know. And, like, that amazing Spider-Man 2 sort of style suit that's, like, totally... Yeah, Todd no, McFarlane. I know. I was just messing yeah. with you because I'm like, yeah, so every mm-hmm. version of Spider-Man. Um, Todd's also the guy who started drawing him with uh, expressive eyes. You know, one eye would be a little bit more closed than the other one. Um, Which you still see the influence in the MCU with the robotic oh, eyes yeah, and the yeah, mask and sure. stuff. Um, and then he's just like, he was known for being such a dynamic storyteller. Um, and then he did Spawn, like you said, and we saw how Spawn number one was on that top 10 yep. comic books ever sold. Um, he's just like a really cool guy. I think he's an awesome storyteller. I think the way he designs comic book pages are very innovative, especially when you go back to his old Spawn and Spider-Man stuff. He was thinking really outside of the box, and he did some really weird page designs, but it just made for such a fun, dynamic read of a comic book. But another thing that I love about Todd McFarlane is he is a entrepreneur... Uh, I'm not talking too well right now, but entrepreneur through entrepreneur. and through. Yeah. He is... He's a businessman, and he's out there to do his own thing, make his own thing. And if you ever hear him talk about business and coming up with your own ideas and stuff, he is very inspiring because his thoughts are kind of like, don't do it for DC, don't do it for Marvel, don't do it for Disney. Do your own thing, get it out there, and build your own empire. And that's something that he believes in. Um, He's actually the only image founder who's never gone back to work for Marvel or DC ever again. He made his own empire, and he's still at the helm of it. And that, I think, is just super inspiring. So, Yeah. yeah. All right, well, my final pick of the night is J. Scott Campbell. Awesome. Yeah, I um, love Jay Scott I Campbell. I am such a fan of his work. The first time I noticed his work was in Danger Girl. Um, that's such a f- fun book. Um, I got to meet Jay Scott Campbell. Uh, he signed a couple books for me, and um, he did a sketch for me of uh, Abby Chase, one of my favorite characters. Um, he wasn't supposed to, but he was like, yeah, I'll do it real quick. I just <laughs> threw it in there yeah. real quick. Um, 
And the only reason I say he wasn't supposed to is because the guy running the autographing was like, no, no sketches. And I'm like, and <laughs> yeah. he, was, he just kind of looked at the guy weird and then just did it real fast. <laughs> um, but no, like, I've always liked his work. Um, a lot of people nowadays know him best from his work on Spider-Man. He does a ton of Spider-Man right now. Um, during the Batman-Catwoman marriage thing that recently happened in comics, uh, he did a couple, like, big uh, splash page like cover type things just yeah. for that event, but he didn't really. It, that's really all he did. Um, most of his work lately has been in Spider-Man. So if you look it up, um, what's really cool is if you follow him on Instagram, he posts artwork, like the, all the completed stuff. But he doesn't like. So you know, on Instagram has those like books, so it's like three or four pictures you can yeah. post at a time. He does the book, so he'll have the finished picture first, and then. As you swipe, it's all the sketch work. That's awesome. So it's like zoomed in pictures of like all the sketch work to like things that he was looking at. Um, he also did this really cool. I was, I, I changed the background on my phone a lot. I get bored with whatever the background is, and I go looking for, like pictures and stuff like yeah. that. And every now and then I'll be like J. Scott Campbell artwork, and I just Google it to like try and find an image to put as the wallpaper on <laughs> yeah. my background. Or sometimes I'll do J. Scott Campbell iPhone wallpaper or whatever, yeah. and I just pull it down. Um, he uh, he did this really cool fantasy series where he took so it's like Alice in Wonderland and it's like a dark gritty take on Alice in Wonderland yeah. so it's like his artwork <laughs> or it's like Wizard of Oz and his artwork or like you know like like weird like some of it's really really cool yeah um, so yeah no I just he's got this it's kind of got this like exaggerated cartoon look but it's got this realistic look to it as well it's just. It's just like almost perfect art. I just I'm not saving yeah. him for last because I really enjoy it. It just it was one that really stood out to me when we were when I was looking for this. Oh yeah, for, for sure. I think um, he's got like a really solid style. Like you look at his stuff and there's not really like anything like you could complain about. But like you said, he's got it looks realistic, but it has like just enough cartooniness to just have that like element of whimsy that's just like yeah. really cool and. He started out doing superhero stuff like he's like you said he's most known for his Spider-Man work but uh, then he did Danger Girl which is kind of like more of a James Bond Indiana Jones sort of thing and then now he's been doing like you're talking about his Instagram posts like a lot of like fantasy drawings like he'll draw the little mermaid or different fantasy characters and his like the whimsy and his style just works so well with this new artwork that he's doing and I think it's gorgeous so I think it's like a great pick as well so yeah Awesome. Awesome. Uh, that would move into my next pick, um, which is actually... So this is my number one pick for the night. And I think this this is a guy who I don't know if his, if all of his work is my number one pick, but for me, when he's at his peak, he's like my number one favorite artist, and that's actually Greg Capullo. Uh, oh, you already that's mentioned. funny. Uh, I think this is a guy who I love his style. Like I think he can really draw, and he can really make things look cool and awesome, but... For me, it's his storytelling. Like, if you... Honestly, if you go back and read his old Spawn stuff, or if you look at uh, his uh, creator-owned book that he did called The Creech, some of the pages on this... Like, it's hard to explain in audio form, but the way he designs a page, some of it, just the way it flows is so organic, and it's just... It's so beautiful. Like, it's beautiful storytelling that your eyes just lead through and the the way the panels are they're not all just square and rectangle panels like some of them are very organic shapes some of the ways the panels spread across the page almost looks more like abstract art than like a comic book and it all like kind of fits together in this really organic beautiful gritty way of storytelling that 
I haven't seen anybody really do anything like that. The closest I've seen was uh, Angel Medina when he did Spawn. He kind of used a similar storytelling style, but I still think Greg Capullo is kind of the... He's the king of the artistic storytelling for me, and I kind of... Uh, I just think it's great when you find him at his peak, so... Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, good list. All right. For that sure, That kind yeah. of brings us to the end. Um, so next week... Um, this is, I really, it really bums me out that I didn't think to schedule this a little better so <laughs> yeah. it releases on a specific week, but, um, and I have to give Bryn credit for this, uh, her and I were texting back and forth about, uh, the Marvel Phase 4 stuff, and she mentioned this, and I went, oh crap, why didn't I think of this before? Yeah. Um, so, next week we are going to do shark movies, because next week is Shark Week. Oh, awesome. That's great. Okay. <laughs> so the timing could have been better where, like, we would have set it up so the release would be on Shark Week. So it's going to be a little bit... The list will be a little behind, but next week, Shark Week, so we're going to do Shark what Movies. What makes it a shark movie? Like, there has to be a shark in the movie, or... Well, like, the movie Jaws is about a shark. Yes. You know, the movie Deep Blue Sea is about sharks. So yeah. I figure... I'm thinking shark attack I'm, movies. I'm asking because um, I can only think of, like, I don't know if like, I can think of five. Like, like there's, the a, there's a movie, uh, 47 Meters Down, or yeah. 47 Meters Below, or whatever, mm-hmm. has sharks in it, but it's clearly, like, a shark movie. So, I'm, like, you know, let's do shark movies. I know I can do five. Okay. Is, really uh, like is Finding Nemo shark, a shark movie? Shark, Sharknado counts. <laughs> is Finding Nemo a shark movie? Or a movie that has, like, a shark attack, but that's not the focus? You could, hey, however you want to interpret the list, because <laughs> okay, every because every now and then we've okay, it's it's sh- shark lists. movies are ridiculous. The list can be ridiculous. It sounds yeah. like so. Okay, yeah. so like no, it's just <laughs> it's fun. like you know the Meg is an yeah. example of a shark movie, so, right? Okay, yeah. okay. So we'll do awesome. shark movies next week. Um, I bet we match on our number one. Ah, uh, we, <laughs> we, you know what? We probably are. Um, at any rate, with that being said, uh, let's close out another another episode in the can. So um, if you would, by all means, check us out at top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook. You'll also find a link to our email, uh, which is top5report at gmail.com. Feel free to interact with the show. Um, we'd love it. I mean, if you guys have list ideas that we haven't thought of yet, by all means, send them our way because, I mean, we have a ton in the can ready to go because I have a list of ideas that we haven't even gotten mm-hmm. to yet. Um, and I'm pretty sure Peter has as well. So, But we'd love to hear from you guys. Um, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts. There you can subscribe to us. And if you do, you will not miss a single episode. Um, but you can also review and rate us. Uh, we love five stars because that makes us look good. But we understand criticism because it helps us get better. Um, and it makes the words we say sound important. Um, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Um, Peter, what yeah. about you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I will be searching for my own matching hat burrito guy. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. All right, well, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. <laughs>